everybody. Welcome back to Tennis Picks and Bets. This is a special Wimbledon preview edition. I'm John at JR Tweets Tennis. You can, of course, subscribe to the Mayo Media Network YouTube channel and then head on over to Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix. That is where you'll find all the audio content daily for our Wimbledon breakdowns and previews. We'll be looking at the best bets of the day and some DFS players to keep an eye on that might help your lineup succeed for the next day. Again, Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow if you're in Spotify. Subscribe in, in other apps. But we are getting ready for Wimbledon. This is your quick primer for what to look for. We want to talk about one, grass courts. How do they play? What kind of style succeeds? Two, the men's draw. It's out. So is the women's. We'll talk about those draws, some players to watch, and some names to monitor from the periphery. Three, I want to talk about DFS and betting angles. How to approach DFS on grass courts? They are very different. They are the polar opposite from clay courts. Clay courts high bouncing, grass courts low bouncing. Grass courts lightning fast, clay courts generally slower. So we are going from clay right into grass, total opposites. We're going to look on how to bet these and how to build your lineups or the strategies you want to employ for different salary ranges when you go to DraftKings and set your lineups. All right, let's begin with the grass courts themselves. What do grass courts entail? Who succeeds? What are some of the, the things you want to look for? I want to talk about it in a few sections here. One, power. Comes down to that. Big serve, big power on your ground strokes. That's a great foundation to succeed on grass courts. Is it all? No. Players like Naomi Osaka have had trouble on grass after all. We'll get uh, to her withdrawal from this tournament um, for unfortunate reasons, of course, later on. But power isn't all that you need. It certainly helps. The lightning quick courts accentuate those big serves, accentuate those ground strokes. They're so much more effective. But it's not all because there's the fact that it's, remember I said low bouncing courts take a look at players with slices, those effective and defensive backhand slices. They are key because a slice is meant to take the bounce off the ball. Even on any court, it's meant to keep the ball low. It's a defensive tactic used to avoid that ball bouncing up into the strike or hitting zone of your opponent so they can rip winners against you. It's to buy time to work your way back into the point. You combine a low-bouncing shot with a low-bouncing surface, bingo. That's a recipe for success. So slices and players that can execute them effectively. Slicing isn't just effective on its own. It's got to be a good one. Some players will sail that ball five feet over the net, and it comes down, and it still bounces up nice and high. And because slices take pace off the ball, not only have you let it bounce back into your opponent's striking zone, but now you've left it super, super short for them, and it's a nice, easy ball they can get to and put away. So that's another thing. The third thing is experience and pedigree. It's important on every surface, but more so on a surface that only plays a few weeks a year, right? So if you've had success in the past, you, you know how to move. It is a slick surface. It is tough to move. We saw a veteran, David Goffin, who's played on grass for years. He's out of this tournament because he took a spill in his lead-in tournament a week ago. And he's he, he injured himself. So even most veteran guys can... can you know, take spills, fall down, hurt themselves. Movement and comfort on the grass, very important. Pedigree and experience. I would all say that all wraps into one. The more experience you have, the more used you are, the most the more used to the grass you are the, you are, and you can move on it in a more dynamic fashion. Those are the keys to grass court tennis. So with that said, let's get into the draws. 
Who are we looking for on the men's side? Who are we looking for the women's side? Who are we not so big on? The men's side, it comes down to one person, one player. Novak Djokovic, prohibitive favorite in the outright markets, in the prevailing tennis community. All the chatter says he's the favorite with good reason. Uh, the guys who could probably stop him, Fed, 39 years old, off, you know, on two bad knees, didn't look good in Hala, his probably quasi-favorite tournament after Wimbledon, where he's won 10 times. Lost to Felix Ogeliasim, not in convincing fashion either. He, he was rolled in the last two sets. First set he won, but he, he created fewer break points than he faced on his serve. So a little bit deceiving there. Felix really could have won that in two sets. I'm not sold on Fed. Rafa Nadal out of this tournament, out of, I believe, the Olympics as well. He's focusing on the U.S. Open. He's ready for summer hard court season. So there's another big threat. The other big three, the other two of the big three are gone. Of course, last time this happened, though, Novak Djokovic beat himself defaulting at the U.S. Open. So, you know, never say never. But he's the prohibitive favorite. Uh, he excels across all surfaces. He's looking for that golden slam, as we call it. All four Grand Slams in the Olympics in the same year. It's still possible. He's 40% of the way there. This would make him 60% should he win it. Other names to watch. Let's go to Matteo Berrettini. He's in the other half of the draw. That is a big plus. Big plus to be away from Djokovic through the fourth round quarterfinals and semifinals. He's got the booming serve. He's got a big forehand. So the power is there. And most importantly, that pedigree that I that I was still concerned about entering this grass season, despite the fact he had a grass title before this year. All those fears are alleviated. Those concerns washed away. He won at Queen's Club, a 500-level tournament that is bigger than the other grass title he had in Stuttgart a couple of years ago at the 250 level. He's got a 500-level tournament. He looks really comfortable. He's ready to go. He's been in London for a while. Of course, Queen's Club is situated in London, different venue, but same city. This is great stuff for Matteo Bertini. He's got the game. And of course, he pushed Djokovic at Wimbledon until they cleared those fans out, remember? Uh, that was the night they had to take them off court because the fans wouldn't leave. They refused to leave. So Matteo Berrettini is someone that, even though he might be more comfortable on clay, game certainly suited to grass, and he should push him again should he get to that final. The other names that everyone wants to talk about, Stefano Tsitsipas, Andrei Rublev, Daniil Medvedev, right? These are the, the guys that used to be the next gen, I say in air quotes, because they're not so as young anymore. Tsitsipas still is, but the others not so much. These guys just, I, I'm not sold on grass yet. Um, Tsitsipas hasn't played, I don't believe. He lost his grandmother right before the French Open final. Heartbreaking stuff. He lost a heartbreaking French Open final. Don't think he's played on grass, and he's never really been a good returner. And for me, that disqualifies you from the conversation, even though it's a, a serve-oriented surface. If you're forcing yourself into a ton of tie breaks, eventually that tie break luck runs out. It is a heavy, heavy, as we mentioned earlier, kind of variance-oriented situation, those tie breaks. They can go anyway, and if you, if you screw up once or twice in a match, it could cost you. Andre Rublev, again, not sold on just yet on return or the movement, just not as comfortable. He likes quicker surfaces. That will be a plus for him. But I'm not sure he should be in that top tier with Djokovic or second tier with Berrettini. Third, uh, Daniil Medvedev, he's got the game. He likes the low bouncing ball. He's got the big serve. He's got the big frame. He actually moves decently for a guy his height. But on the grass, that slick surface, that slippery surface has messed with him a bit. He was really frustrated in his loss against Jan Leonard Stroop and Hala. Even this week, he has not looked great. He's looked shaky a lot of the times in Mallorca at a smaller event leading into Wimbledon. So do I think he he's probably the guy I would say is closest to Berrettini, but I still don't think he's quite in that contender category just yet. Uh, and of course, Roger Federer, I've mentioned earlier, not sold on it. Didn't look great in Hala. Knees, age, everything is kind of compounding uh, against him in this spot. As for dark horses, two guys to watch for, two relatively young guys. Hugo Mbao, the Frenchman, one in Hala. Incredible lefty serve. Big booming serve, laser-like forehand. 
I watched, I want to specifically reference his match against Alex Zverev, pardon me, uh, where he was able to rip laser beams with that forehand, especially cross court. He flattens it out. That's going to be key. He's got power. That's key. And that lefty ability, that fact that he's a lefty is key as well, because if you can serve out wide with that big left-handed serve and target righties backhands, that's going to be really tough for righties to return when you've got, it's a Big serve on a fast surface. It becomes really tough on the weaker side for most players. That is key. Felix Ogier-Yassin, the other dark horse I want to talk about. The Montrealer, the young Canadian, has made multiple finals on grass already in his career. He's not even 21 years old. Most young players struggle with the movement on this surface. Not him. He's got a big booming serve, big booming uh, ground strokes from the baseline. And again, for his frame, he can move really well. And the experience is already there at 20 years old. Like I said, two finals across multiple years already on this surface that is barely played upon. Watch for Felix. Want to head over to the women's side. The prohibitive favorites or the favorites I would consider all red flags. Serena looks like she's lost a few steps. That's less relevant here than it was on clay, right? Because movement here isn't as important. She's got the comfort. She knows how slick grass is. That's not the concern. She can keep points shorter with her power and the greatest serve in women's tennis history, right? But again, if those rallies get extended, if she has a low surf, first serve percentage day and she relies on the second serve a lot, I'm not convinced that she is infallible. I think that this is her best chance at that 24th Grand Slam or major title. I'm not concerned that she is a favorite to do it here, though, regardless of what the markets say. Second, Garbina Muguruza has success at Wimbledon in her, in her past. She's 5'10", moves extremely well for it. She can defend. Of course, she's got a huge game. All the attributes I'm looking for. I would have had an outright on her if it weren't for the fact that she came back from injury and at the French Open, didn't look good against Kostyuk, looked great in one of these grass lead-in tournaments one day, the next day came back heavily taped on that upper thigh and was bounced by Alize, I believe Alize Cornet, who is not exactly the most prominent player that should be uh, ousting Garbina Muguruza. Injury concerns. Ashley Barty, big serve, check. Big forehead, check. Nasty slice, probably the best on the women's tour, check. Wimbledon title to her name? Not so much. Odd that Ash Barty has not yet won Wimbledon, but she's still so young. We look at her winning the French a few years back, and so we assume where she's like mid or late 20s. She's still really young. She's got time, but she hasn't played in a long time. I don't ever consider people coming off long layoffs and jumping right into a major tournament like Wimbledon favorites. The same goes for Simona Halep. Opposite kind of effect. Not a power game, but she's great on all surfaces because she defends so well, counter as well, and she can actually generate a bit of pace on her own. People think she's a pusher. She's not. But again, she's had success here as well. That's another big key. But again, not having played in a while puts me off of it. So who to watch? If we're, not, if we're talking about names that we like but we don't think are going to do well, who are we looking for to succeed? One, Coco Goff at the age of 15. Through qualies, didn't lose a set. Those are qualifiers, sorry. Through qualification, didn't lose a set. Beats Venus Williams, a plus 300 or better underdog. First round, straight sets. Beats a grass court specialist, Magdalena Rybarakova, straight sets. Beats Polona Herzog, three sets. Then loses in the fourth round of Simona Halep, one of the top three women in the game at that time, and probably when she's healthy now even. Now she's a couple of years older, Coco. Her serve, her second serve is not nearly as vulnerable. She hasn't hit as many double faults. She's cleaned up the forehand errors. She's got a laser-like flat backhand. And if she was winning three points on clay with her serve, what's it going to do on grass? She's been to this stage before. She won't be overcome by the grand stage of Wimbledon. She did it at 15, 17, piece of cake. I'm just talking in terms of the mental approach. I think she'll be fine. Someone to watch. Joe Conta, 
Joanna Conta, the Brit, she will have the crowd on her side, obviously. They love supporting their Brits. They also put a massive amount of pressure on them. But after Andy Murray finally broke through and won Wimbledon, I think that has subsided a bit. But Joe Conta has a title on grass this year. The form wasn't great. She corrected it on grass, got her title, got her playing week done. Then you talk about the fact that she's been here deep into the second week before. That's a plus. She knows how these courts play. The Brits all have a ton of experience growing up on these courts at Roehampton, which is, I think, a national tennis facility and where qualifiers are held. That's why you see so many young Brits succeeding when they get these wild cards, because they, they have played on grass before. They're used to the surface, the low bounce. They know how to move on it. A lot of things I like about Joe's game, she's got a big enough game that she's not going to be blown off the court. She's got experience. She's made it deep here before, and she's got a title on grass this season. The third name is Maria Suckery. Want to talk about Maria because she's had great success this year. She's probably been a top 10 player in terms of form just this season. Not necessarily in the rankings because of the points freezes and all that, you know, different situation. But she's been great this year across surfaces. She went to the semis, lost in heartbreaking fashion at Roland Garros, of course. But her serve has improved every year for the last few years. She's won more and more points behind her first serve than she ever has before. That's huge. You put her on grass now, very confident that that will correlate to success here. She can defend well. She's the most fit player on tour. So seven matches in two weeks should not be a concern for her. Not a red flag. And of course, she can generate her own pace. She doesn't get enough credit for it. Her forehand is big. She can really hit when someone leaves a ball short. She can punish them for mistakes. That's also key on the quick surfaces that will allow you to hit more winners with that power. Okay, the there are, there are really dark horses on this side on the women's draw just because everyone is kind of a dark horse, if that makes any sense. Um, the women's slams have been like this for a while. Anyone can win on any given week. Of course, you have um, the, I think, two players outside the top 30 played for the Roland Garros title just about a month ago or just under a month ago. So that tells you all you need to know. DFS-wise, for high-salaried players, you need someone who can break. Don't be taking the Stefano Tsitsi passes in the early stages. They're going to be expensive, and they don't break enough. You need lopsided sets for those big points to justify paying higher salaries. Right? You need someone who's going to be able to serve, going to be able to get you those aces, but you want those games won, games lost, and sets won, sets lost. You want that straight sets bonus. You want lopsided sets. You want more breaks. Those are bonus points. So you need someone who can return as well as serve. Okay, The pick'ems, look for experience. First of all, look for players who shouldn't be a pick'em. Look for someone who's in form, who likes the grass, who has power, and who has success in the past on this surface. Experience is going to play here in those pick'em situations. Those $8,000 to $7,000 to $8,000 player range, you want to look for those kinds of things. As for the underdogs, go for big servers. You'll get some points with the aces. You'll keep sets close. Close sets means you don't get blown out. So the games one to games loss ratio is not too bad. So even if you lose, you can still cash in tournaments. You, you still have a great chance to cash in, in cash games. But in tournaments, you can still be relevant to make the money. Okay. Uh, you also want someone who's going to, again, those big servers with aces, keep those sets close, but also someone who can get to maybe tie breaks, maybe find a break here or there for some bonus points. But if you can get to tie breaks, anything can happen. If anything can happen in a tie break, you might not just win a set because, again, sets won, sets lost, another metric. But if you can keep the sets close, you can keep the match close in terms of set score and game score within sets. Who knows? If you can get to a fifth set with a $4,500, $5,000 player in the men's side, again, the dogs mainly stick with the men because they will be more likely to keep it close because they have the, just the bigger serves on a faster surface, right? So 
Uh, someone like Francis Tiafo against Stefano Tsitsipas. You know, don't just not play Tsitsipas. You might want to look to fade him. That's a little sneak preview for our uh, videos and, and audio podcast next week. But these kinds of things, the guys that can keep the match close in sets, the sets close in terms of games, find some aces for bonus points, maybe pick up a break or two along the way for some bonus points. And then, of course, if they keep it close, you're in with a chance to win outright. If you can find a really cheap underdog to win outright, that's the recipe for success in those big tournament games over at DraftKings. Of course, that is all I use for my DFS. Um, they're by far and away the best tennis DFS supplier. They're the first in the market, and they've really, really done a good job. They have a ton of selection every single day or at least for the early stages of the tournament. The latter stages, they can't because there's not enough matches, right? Everyone's got the same dang lineup. But that wraps up your Wimbledon primer, your Wimbledon preview video here at the Mayo Media Network. Again, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Head over to Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix. We're going to have daily content for you. From a betting perspective, we might look for some underdogs on the grass that could be juicy. We are going to have some DFS recommendations, one or two players a day that you probably should look to include in your lineup. All that good stuff for the next few weeks. Look for the first video on Sunday because we will have matches galore on Monday and Tuesday. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Rate, review, subscribe Yo, for the podcast. And of course... Again, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We will talk to you soon.